Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this episode, Omar co-composer Michael Abels and professor of music at Mount San Antonio College, Dr. Tiffany Kuo, discuss the music, the story, and the process of creating Omar in this pre-recorded, pre-performance talk. Tickets to Omar are available now at laopera.org. Welcome everyone to Los Angeles Opera. My name is Tiffany Kuo, and I'm here today with composer Michael Abels. Welcome, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Tiffany. So first of all, congratulations. I would like to start off by acknowledging how exciting it is to have an Angelino premiering his first opera at the LA Opera. How are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing. It's been a lifelong dream of mine to write an opera and to have it performed at LA Opera. And so this co-commission of Rhiannon Giddens and I is really a dream come true for both of us. This is the West Coast premiere of Omar. Could you provide a short synopsis of the opera for our audience? Yes, it's about Omar ibn Said, who was a Senegalese Muslim who was kidnapped and brought over on the Middle Passage to the Carolinas in 1807. And he was sold into slavery, but he could read and write Arabic. Mm. And so through a series of circumstances, this was discovered. And um, while it didn't free him, it gave him some modicum of respect mm. by those who enslaved him. And his, um, he was encouraged to write his autobiography. That autobiography is now in the Library of Congress as one of the only first person narratives of an enslaved person. And they tried to convert him to Christianity, but it turns out when you read his autobiography, if you're familiar with the Quran, he didn't really convert. He merely put on that show to do what he needed to do. And he hid his true beliefs within the verses of his words. And so this sort of thing is fascinating fodder for opera. So as I watch opera, I was transported to the late 18th and early 19th century life in West Africa, the Middle Passage, which you refer to, and also the Southern Plantation life of Omar. Um, and I believe as we watch this tonight, as we experience the performance, the life of Omar Ibn Said will have different meaning for each of us. And I would love to know, what does the life of Omar mean for you? How has his story impacted you? Well, I had never heard of Omar's story um, before Rhiannon asked me to collaborate with her. And I, the first thing is just that there are so many stories like this mm -hmm. of people who played an important part of who we are as a country today whose stories aren't known and aren't told. And so it was a great education for me and I felt like I was learning and uncovering history as I was working on creating the piece. And as I got to know his life, I think I was really just struck by the perseverance of the human spirit. He had a hard life, <laughs> a hard life. And like many enslaved people, a very hard life. It reminded me how blessed I am. And it reminded me uh, just of what the sorts of things that people endure in order to uh, find their way in the world. Mm, yeah. And so, as you said, you know, his writings are preserved at the Library of Congress. We can actually access it online. It's mm -hmm. been digitized. And we know about him through these writings, but we don't know everything about him, right? Mm -mm. So how have you and Miss Giddens dramatized to fill the gaps of Omar's life for us to provide a fuller understanding? So Rhiannon is an amazing songwriter and she um, regardless of the genre and that she writes in, is able to 
create personal stories mm. that really bring the experience of another person alive and make it personal to the listener. Um, and so she's done that through the libretto. You really hear the details of many different characters' lives, not just Omar's, but other members of the enslaved community. And it really personalizes it, I think, for every person who comes in contact with it. But also, there are a couple of invented characters that don't change the storyline, but help us, help give us some context to Omar's life. First, there's um, Omar's mother, Fatima, who we meet uh, in the first scene in uh, Fuda Toro in Senegal. And she is the matriarch of the family, and, but also kind of the matriarch of the village. And she's killed at the end of the first scene. But because it's an opera, she continues as a ghost to uh, be featured throughout the piece. And she represents really Omar's spirit and his history. And she is encouraging him to be true to himself and believe in Allah. And it helps us understand what must be going on in Omar's mind as he's faced with this completely different world and language and situation. And there's also a, an invented character named Julie. And she's an enslaved woman who recognizes that through, through a chance meeting, she recognizes that Omar is Muslim. And she kind of, for just the moment they interact, she takes him under her wing for a moment. And she says, if you ever escape, find Fayetteville, go to Fayetteville. And he remembers this and somehow does end up in Fayetteville. And when he sees her again, and they are both amazed to see each other, he asks her, why me? Why, you know, why did you bother to help me? And she reveals that her father was Muslim and she knew by the taqiyya, the, the Muslim cap that he was wearing. Um, and in that moment, she, it's a perfect moment for us to hear a little bit about her story. And so she sings what we hope is a very moving aria about her own story. And she gives Omar's cap, which she managed to retrieve when it was tossed aside. She gives Omar his cap back. And it's a very meaningful moment and one that Rhiannon came up with to really help us see into the heart of both these characters. I was also intrigued by the slaver Owen's daughter. Is that a real character? Eliza is not a real character. Now, James Owen was a real person, absolutely. I don't know the names of his children, but the motivation of the daughter character mm -hmm. is to help us understand in the situation where Omar's in jail, why this man, a plantation owner, would suddenly take an interest in him. What is the reason that they begin to talk? Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that his daughter, who's young and naive to the ways of the world, is struck by the beautiful Arabic script that Omar has been writing on the walls of his cell and sees it not with any cultural baggage, but simply as beautiful writing. And because she's spiritual and religious and, ha and has already been educated to be a good Christian, she sees that clearly it's uh, the beauty of it means that it must be the word of God. And mm -hmm. she encourages her father through just her incredibly innocent spirit to go and pay attention to Omar. And he, because she's his daughter, takes some interest that he might not have if she wasn't there to cause him to see the world through her eyes for a moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Which brings me to this next question about faith. I hear faith as a theme in the opera, 
There's religious faith, as Omar is Muslim. I hear him chant and pray through the opera. Um, religious faith is also exemplified in the familial bond, that strong familial bond you just spoke of between um, Omar and his mother, Fatima. And last, I also hear a faith in humanity through the social bonds of the people in the choir, whether it be the Middle Passage scene or the plantation scenes. Can you share with us how you capture faith so beautifully in this opera? Well, you're, you're right. Faith occurs on all those levels in the piece. And I think faith is actually the single most important theme of the work and how faith and spirituality can help a person transcend the most extreme physical circumstances. The clash between faiths is just one of the different cultural clashes in the opera, but because faith is all a belief in a higher power, something beyond us, that irony or that dichotomy between the clash and yet the bond mm -hmm. is, a, is really what the opera is about. And so each of those faiths, it was very important to us that each of those faiths be depicted in a way that felt authentic to people who practice those faiths. So Rhiannon spent a lot of time researching how Islam is practiced in Senegal or in the region where Senegal is now to get that right to people who practice that faith. And even the different types of Christian practice, there's both the, there's some music that sounds very churchy in a kind of um, Lutheran way, maybe, <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a small church organ. And then there's gospel music, which is of the black church or of what was to become the black church at that point. There, the Senegalese music, as Omar is in his head um, and sometimes either talking to Fatima or just alone with his thoughts, we hear the harp playing passages that feel improvised but are actually, um, it's, it's meant to evoke the kora, which is a West African instrument, um, to give us a sense of him being true to himself without having to put on the facade of who he needs to be in America to get by. And the piece shifts sometimes suddenly between a, a very Christian vibe and between a very Islamic vibe to help show the differences in perspective between Omar and Owen and between one world and another. So we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that each faith felt authentic in the moment that it was being uh, focused on about the compositional process. It's co-written, co-composed uh, between you and Rhiannon Giddens. Tell us about this process, because it's unusual, right? Most operas are written by one composer, mm -hmm. and this is um, two, and so tell us more. Well, Rhiannon asked me to collaborate. She'd been commissioned by Spoleto USA to write this opera, and she's from the Carolinas, and so, and she is, besides being a Grammy-winning roots and Americana singer, she's also a trained opera singer. So it, they were very excited to have her write this piece. And they said, and, we'll, and who would you like to write the libretto? And Rhiannon said, because she's a singer-songwriter, she said, I want to write the libretto, but I'd like a, a musical collaborator. Mm -hmm. And so she asked me to collaborate, and I said yes before she even finished the sentence, I think. And her art is that she, she sings. Her voice is this tremendous instrument. And she plays the banjo, and she plays the fiddle. And so she would write and she would send me recordings and then I'd begin by transcribing them. And that was my way of both first notating them because notated music is very important in opera, <laughs> but also of getting inside her melodies and to really feel like they were, you know, second nature to me. I, I wanted the process to begin with her process 
and then I wanted to extend that process into the world of opera. We discovered early on that our vision of what an opera should be or what an opera looks and sounds like mm -hmm. was similar. And so therefore, I think because we were both were headed for the same goal, our collaboration went very smoothly, even though we were only in the same room once. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it, she would work and then I would work and then I would send back to her and then she would send back to me. And she wrote the libretto and she would send it to me to see what I thought and I would give her feedback. But most of that feedback was, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> there were a couple of places that we adjusted based on the other's feedback. Mm -hmm. But it was really, I can only think of two places where that was and the rest of it was pretty much like, yeah, this is how it should go. So. It was a it was a wonderful process, but very much not what I would have ex. I, I you know I, I never expected to be asked to co-write an opera first of all, so that's unusual. But I don't know what I would have guessed the process was. Mm -hmm. But in spite of that, the process we had felt very natural for us and worked really well. Wonderful. And so, can I say you're you're the main orchestrator, right, of this? Yes, but it's important in opera that the orchestra is telling the story actively along with the singers. It's a type of orchestration that's a, it's possibly more three-dimensional than if you're just orchestrating something that, that exists as a song. Mm -hmm. Because it, the, there are some arias that are standalone mm -hmm. in the piece, but it also has to have a flow that's very organic and very dramatic. And so the orchestra helps and plays an active role in telling the story and having it flow like a film would. Yeah, and so this is where my next question stems from. Um, you're very well known for many, many, many different styles. Um, I believe you study West African drumming. Um, you're familiar with gospel. You are an award-winning film scorer, and some of which incorporates hip-hop. In Omar, I heard spirituals, I heard the blues, I heard jazz, I heard ragtime. I mean, there's a hoedown, and there's a bit of a, what I call a German umpa, kind of polka-like, if you will. All of this, in addition to Western classical genres and styles. And what's even more impressive is in Omar, how you seamlessly integrate all of these textures and soundscapes into a cohesive musical drama. Can you share with us that process? Mm. Well, thank you, first of all. This piece is a perfect opportunity to include as many different styles of American music that were influenced or outright invented by black people. and. We didn't include every style, but certainly each one that was appropriate to this story. So it was great. It was great fun to know that this was a legitimate excuse, if you will, to to really uh, showcase all the genres of American music. But it was important also to integrate them, not just present them. So first of all, the fact that they all are very much called for in the story helps a lot. But the other thing is that we agreed early on that we didn't want to use any non-orchestral instruments. Um, I mean, the first thing that people would expect from Rhiannon is that there would be a banjo. Mm -hmm. But the first thing she said was, no, I don't want there to be a banjo. And I think it, it's for two reasons. One of the reasons that all of the different genres work within the opera is because they're all being presented with this single palette of the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And as untraditional as the story and the characters and maybe some of the genres of music are in this opera, it's still an opera, it very much so. And so the fact that you have an orchestra and opera singers and uh, the, you know, the grand stage says a lot to help people understand what the work is. And that was important to us. The other thing is that non-orchestral instruments 
tend to make a piece harder to produce for presenters. And so we thought, you don't want there to be any obstacles to performing this piece. <laughs> uh, we're going to remove as many of those as possible because we really want it to be a piece that opera companies anywhere can take on and perform and um, present to their audiences. Yeah, and there's certain scenes in which it just sort of, I want to say, phase or uh, transform so beautifully from one style to another. Mm, thank right? you. Um, and I was wondering if you could describe your compositional process in that. Mm. That, I think, relates, at least to me, to um, scoring to picture in that there are, I'm, I'm thinking of moments where Owen and Omar are having a conversation about spirituality and it's done from this position of owner and enslaved. So that has that dynamic. And yet Omar is very true to his faith and he's very centered in his belief. And so you'll hear when they are having this, this conversation, which is not quite an argument. You hear very Germanic music accompanying Owen. Mm -hmm. And then you hear this much more um, spiritually centered and peaceful um, modal music accompanying Omar. And you hear the music expand and blossom underneath this, the power of his belief. It's a great way to illustrate the differences between them and sonically, mm -hmm. but it also emotionally shows where each of them is coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, one from a position of physical power and one from a place of spiritual power. And of course it does need to flow and transition, as you mentioned, gracefully. But I think that just there's something about the way the the scene is set up that allows that transition naturally. It needed to feel as organic as a conversation does, and I think it feels that way when you when you watch it happen. Oh yes, definitely. In many scenes, in fact, I feel Thank like you. there's such beautiful transitions. Which also leads to this next question about sort of African-American music making. These musical styles, they embrace this combination of pain, of hope, and also celebration. And Omar really illustrates these complexities. And today we talk about leaning into this discomfort, the uncomfortable, about having difficult conversations we can have with our colleagues regarding racial discrimination and systemic racism. And I say all of this is because I think there are uncomfortable moments in this opera as we'll witness abuse and violence of chattel slavery. How do you deal with discomfort? It, it's a great question because I think that this piece is important work. Telling all of our stories and the, in the, the beauty and, and the harshness I think is very important. And it can be tough. It's when we, audition chorus members for this work, hmm. I always want to make sure that we tell them playing an enslaved person is emotionally difficult. And we, as the presenter, acknowledge that. And we are with you in that to understand it. People need to feel invited to participate in something that's emotionally difficult. And they need mm -hmm. to know that the people who are, are casting them are with them and understand that they're, they're in for an emotional experience that they mm -hmm. might not have singing um, you know, a, a more traditional work. For me, I think that one of the things that makes it something that I can make myself be with is the fact that the piece ends in an uplifting way without sugarcoating his story. The fact that, as I mentioned, that the, it's really a piece about the power of faith the fact that it ends in a very spiritually centered and uplifting way 
was really important to me to feel like it was a, a journey we could take audiences on and have them feel grateful that they made themselves present for some of the pain of the journey. At the same time, it's really important that that be told in a way that feels authentic. So there's no getting past or sugarcoating the parts that are difficult. But also there is a, an underside to happy songs mm -hmm. in, in gospel music and other styles of music. I mean, what, that was one of the things there are, in both acts, there's a gospel song or a work song that the enslaved chorus sings. And in this opera, both times, there's a moment where the mood shifts and it goes from a, a happy song to one that, that speaks very seriously about what's really going on in the song. And that's something that I think, when I saw that uh, the libretto and how Rhiannon had decided to do that with these, these songs, I thought that that was just really smart. And uh, it made me really happy to be able to incorporate a couple of traditional melodies and then show the backside that people often miss if they're not listening with, with the full history. So there are moments of joy and there are moments of peace and there are moments of violence and there are moments of suffering all within this opera. And I, I hope people find the, um, the journey to be one that's um, worth taking. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the ending, it's so unusual, right? Opera endings are death, murder, marriage, right? That's <laughs> sort of your option. And this one's not. Can you tell us more about this ending and how you and Miss Giddens conceive of this ending? So Rhiannon wrote the libretto and took quotes from Omar's autobiography and used that as her inspiration for how to approach it. And the truth of Omar's story is that he wasn't freed and he spent the rest of his life enslaved and he achieved a place of respect in, in the community of that plantation. But that's all inside of being enslaved. And that's not something that we can take focus off of. However, what's an ending? The ending is that his faith caused him to transcend during his lifetime. And his telling of his story and his autobiography means that his life goes on to impact others throughout time. And if he had not written his autobiography, I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. So he managed to, in a sense, be an artist mm -hmm. inside of the, just the harshest conditions imaginable. And that's inspiring. And that's what we wanted to leave people with about his story. And also the fact that within his writing is, in, even though he was enslaved and his autobiography was being written under a watchful eye, he managed to put these coded messages within it that are understandable by people who are, who are really reading it. And so in the last scene of the opera, um, Omar takes people to task to live by the tenets of their faith, which are not necessarily what they have been doing is what's implied. And then he acknowledges the omnipresence of Allah in all that's happened to him and all that will happen. Because his personal journey from the beginning of the opera is that he's very devout in his faith and he feels very sure of what Allah has in store for him. And Fatima, his mother says at the beginning, be careful of your surety, my son. Only, only in Allah 
is your true purpose known? And the path may be a crooked one, but to him it is straight. And Omar finds out in unfortunate ways what she means through the opera. And he comes to a place of acceptance of Allah's will for his life. And, and so at the end, when he is offering praise to Allah for all that has happened and all that will happen, it's a way of him finding his peace within, the, within his situation. And so the entire cast joins him in a, in a prayer that um, we call the Ouroboros, just because an Ouroboros is an image of a snake forming a circle with its tail, which sort of represents the, the Alpha and the Omega, the, the continuing beginning to the end. And so um, the entire cast sings this canon mm -hmm. about um, the first, the only, without beginning, the last, without end. And it's a way of indicating the presence of God beyond that which we can understand. Is there anything else you would like to share with us about Omar? It's been an absolute passion project of Rhiannon's and mine for several years. And I'm thrilled that people will be able to see it. And even if you've never seen an opera, I, I can honestly say that I think you will enjoy and find things that you will really love about Omar. Thank you so much, Michael Abels. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tiffany. It's been my pleasure. Tickets to Omar are available now at laopera.org. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Thank you.